That's right. That's right. Okay. Good to see everybody today. And um, it is so good to um, be here worshiping with you. Um, for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Roland. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. And um, again, happy fall to you. Uh, it is great to uh, be out in the city, out and about, and serving the Lord in some cool weather. And not, not cold weather, cool weather. Okay? And so it is uh, good to be here together. And so <clears throat> today, what we're doing is uh, we're continuing our series, um, which is actually called The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and uh, really talking about what Jesus um, said for himself. Um, what was said about him, how many people, again, recognize that the best way to know Jesus is to look at what Jesus said, what he did, and what was directly said about him, right? Because in our culture today, um, there's a whole lot of spirituality where people are doing what's right in their own eyes, doing what's right in their own eyes, making up for themselves what is right or true about God and the world around them. But the best uh, description or the best interaction that we have with God is the word of God itself, the word of God itself for God to show us who he is, what he cares about, and what he's trying to accomplish. And so um, today, we're um, just going to make a quick reference. Um, I don't know if any of you actually are borrowing a Netflix subscription from a friend, um, but <laughs> if, you, if you are, you might have watched recently uh, the show Stranger Things. How many people are on season four and all the way through? Okay, I have not, but it's okay. And um, the thing is, is that uh, Stranger Things, if you've not watched it yet, it's um, a 1980s throwback. Some of you are like, what are the 1980s? I understand that. <laughs> okay, but some of us actually remember the 1980s. Okay, and so the 1980s were a good time. And uh, Stranger Things was actually referencing um, that period of time, but it's all about these aliens who come and break through another dimension, and then they're actually talking about the upside-down kingdom. Anybody... Anybody seen Stranger Things yet? Okay, so if, it, if not, this message doesn't matter to you today. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, but, but the thing is, is that what we're, when we look at the life of Jesus, we're actually looking at, honestly, an upside-down kingdom, right? We're looking at a kingdom that is counterintuitive to all that we see around us, all that we know, and all that we're pressure to interact with in the world around us. And so whenever we look at the Word of God, a lot of times we're like, wait a minute, that, that, that's so different than what I hear as important in the world around me. That's so different than the way that I would be pressured to live by parents, by friends, by co-workers, family members, or the culture at large. But how many people know that ultimately God's way is a higher way and a better way? a higher way and a better way. And so we're going to continue with that focus today. And our focus must, uh, is going to be this, that we must trust the goodness of God to truly understand Jesus, hear his call, and follow where, his, where he ultimately leads. We must trust the goodness of God to truly understand Jesus, hear his call, and follow where he leads. And so we're going to ask the first the question, is his kingdom really too good to be true, or is God himself too good to be true? But we're going to answer that by understanding that we can often, in knowing the goodness of God, be too busy for Jesus, even knowing his goodness, and understand finally that it's too costly, though, not to come to him as he is. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might actually have life and life to the full. Jesus, you came to redeem us all, and God, we're asking you that as we look into your word today, you would show us what might be counterintuitive, but ultimately leads to life 
eternal life and life to the full presently. God, we're asking that you would give it to us all by your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's answer the question, first of all, is it ultimately, is Jesus too good to be true? To truly understand Jesus, we must understand that we've got to embrace God's goodness. We've got to embrace God's goodness. If you're going to understand who Jesus is, you've got to understand God's goodness, and Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's goodness towards us. So Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to start today. It says, One Sabbath, when he, meaning Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him, meaning Jesus, carefully. <clears throat> and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And a lot of the scholars are referencing dropsy as the condition where you have excessive fluid buildup in uh, different parts of your body. Maybe you've seen it um, in friends, family members, or at least on the Internet before. Okay? And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And again, we've been ha having this discussion that they were continually challenging Jesus according to the law, saying, Jesus, if you want to show your goodness, do it according to our understanding of what religion looks like, right? And Jesus was continually breaking out of that and saying, listen, I'm a supernatural God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, who comes to work supernaturally, and it's going to break out of your, I'm going to break out of your boxes to show my goodness to you. And how many people are excited and uh, thankful for the fact that God breaks out of our boxes? He breaks out of our boxes to ultimately show his goodness. And so he asked them the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is what I'm doing good or not? But it's interesting, he said that they remained silent. They'd been in debate with him over and over again, and Jesus was continually stumping them, and they remained silent. Then he, Jesus, took him and healed him and sent him away. So Jesus obviously had an answer to that question. It was, in fact, lawful in God's sight to heal. It was, in fact, the goodness of God and the disposition of God to heal, to do good to those he came to redeem and save. He said, ultimately, that's my posture, that's my disposition, that is my proclivity towards you. And it says they could not reply <clears throat> to these things, but he healed them, and it said, then he told a parable. It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So when Jesus is already making the proposition that he's better than we think he is, that he's kinder than we think he is, that he's more compassionate than we think he is, that he actually wants to work on your behalf more than you think he does, then the way to actually come into that is through a posture of not pride, but humility. Not pride, but humility. Because ultimately, what's intuitive to our generation is to do everything that really props yourself up and makes you look good in front of the eyes of other people in front of the eyes of employers, the eyes of friends, or the social community at large. How many people have ever felt that pressure before? If you've ever even gone to a job interview, right? 
a recent job interview, part of the job at the job interview is to sell yourself, right? Has anybody ever felt that pressure before? It's sort of like if I'm going to get this job that I think I'm qualified for, I've got to come into this position where I'm selling myself. But ultimately, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive in the way that it works. And if you're going to experience the goodness of God that he's expressed about himself, ultimately, you've got to humble yourself rather than exalt yourself. You've got to come expressing need rather than telling him how you have it all together, you have it all figured out, and that ultimately, Jesus, you are going to tell him ultimately what he can and can't do in your life. And so many times people have rejected or sort of bypassed the grace of God towards them because of past disappointments in their lives or pride. I mean, people know that's true that I don't know that I'm going to even try to ask God for anything good in my life. If I'm bound in sin, I'm not going to ask him to heal or deliver me. Why? Because I've been disappointed when I've tried before. I'm not going to ask him to physically heal me. Why? Because I've prayed before and not received an answer. I'm not going to ask him for the companionship that he has for me in my lifetime because ultimately I've been disappointed by relationships before that didn't go the way that I thought they would. But God's saying, ultimately, that's, that can be both disappointment and pride that keeps you from the grace of God that could otherwise be yours. But he says, ultimately, he's not too good to be true. He's actually better than you think he is. And come in humility, and you'll re- be able to receive him. How many people can say amen to that? Come in humility, and you'll be able to experience him in a new way rather than what you might have experienced before. But the truth is, is that, secondly, a lot of times we don't come to God even when we embrace his goodness because, number two, it's not that we don't believe he's good, but we're just too busy for him. We're just too busy for Jesus. He's there, as the Bible said he is, in all of his goodness, in all of his glory, in all of his truth, in all of his power to heal, deliver, to strengthen, to make whole, to actually give you peace and set you free from this rat race that people are being driven in day after day after day. Anybody ever have a hunger or a need for peace in your life? It's like the older I get, it's sort of like I, 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 have the, I, I sometimes feel like I had to have the same energy that I did as I did when I was younger. That's why you might see some of my idiosyncrasies when I get excited. You might see me doing this, right? You know what I mean? It's sort of like I feel like I'm going to bust out of my um, shell sometimes with energy. But <clears throat> at the same time, I want peace, right? But how many people know that the things that we're running after in life can actually keep us from the peace that God in his goodness wants to give us because we're just too busy for him. We're just too busy for him. And this is what the Bible continues to talk about when we understand that God will not be pleased ultimately with those who are too busy for Jesus. And in Luke 14, he says, he said also, again, at the same banquet to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So there's a good Thanksgiving message. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. You can have dinner with your family. Okay, but the thing is, he says, it's counterintuitive how he wants us to live, right? He said, don't just do that, but also do something else. Also do something else, right? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
So he's basically saying in this upside-down kingdom, in this counterintuitive kingdom, he said you should live for something other than this, the normal flow of life, right? You should live to be a blessing and not just to be blessed. How many people can say amen to that, right? You are blessed by God ultimately to be a blessing. In the covenant of God that started in the Abrahamic covenant, he said to Abraham, I'm taking you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And every, there, there would be no nation that ultimately can stand up against you, but ultimately I'm going to bless you so that you can, all the nations of the earth might be blessed through your life. Not that that blessing would cul-de-sac with you. But how many people know that in our culture, often it's about gimme, 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 more, more, more. How much can I get and how big can my empire ultimately grow? And people aren't blessed to be a blessing unless it has to do with tax advantages, right? A tax write-off. It's sort of like, let me see how much I could give away because tax season's coming. But at the end of the day, Jesus in his counterintuitive kingdom, he says, think about those who are less fortunate than yourself and be blessed to be a blessing. And when one of those reclining at the table, going back to the scripture with him, heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Because this was a Jewish community and they had an expectation of the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, and the great banquet or the festival or the feast that would be celebrating his arrival and his salvation that he was bringing to the world. But Jesus said to them, Jesus said to him, Let me tell you what it's going to be like. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And since the arrival of Jesus, he said, Hey, listen, guys, the kingdom of God is now at hand. Everything that you were invited to before with the law and the prophets all that was spoken about for hundreds of years, talking about the goodness of God and his salvation that was going to arrive on the scene. Let me tell you, when Jesus shows up, when the Messiah shows up, I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is now at hand. So there were two invitations that were given. One far in advance to let you know that the party was being prepared. And then the other one, the second invitation that came saying, it's now time to show up and arrive at the party that's been prepared for you to participate in. And since the arrival of Jesus, he said, that time is now. That time is now. My kingdom is here. It's ready. So come, be involved, participate in my goodness, not only being expressed towards you, but you being utilized as a vessel to get my goodness to the world. It said, at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But, everybody say but. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. I have a business 
have business affairs that I'm attending to. I just got married. And how many people know these are probably things that the individuals in this parable would have been praying for or praying about at least? Saying, God, please bless my business. God, please bless my work life. God, please bless my romantic relationships. All these things, God, I want you to be. Show your goodness to me, God. In the midst of all that I'm looking to you for. And then finally, they've got it all. And God's like, great. Now I've blessed you to be a blessing. And instead of them coming with those things, as an, giving it as an offering to God, to say, now God, it's all yours. Use whatever you've entrusted to me for your glory. When Jesus calls to account and he says, now, use it all for me. The response was, they began to make excuses and said, ultimately, I can't, I'm too busy. Is that what you read here? Is that what you read here? They ultimately said, sorry, can't right now, Jesus, maybe another time. Thanks for the blessings. But I got things I got to do. The servants came and reported that to him. So what did he reply with? He said, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. He said, fine. You know what? The very people I blessed are too busy for me. Go out and get those who the world is going to forget about. Go get the ones that the world might not call blessed, but I want them. I want them. And the servant said, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God cares about the family reunion, does he not? Come on now, got my first baby girl in college. And I'm already talking about, you know, when you don't live here, we're going to talk about the times we come together, right? Because <laughs> it's sort of like, it's like we, we care, don't we? We care about the coming together. He said, go and bring them out that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of those that I actually blessed will actually taste my banquet. Because you know what? They got all that they ever wanted right here and right now and were too busy for me. So you know what? When the real banquet comes, they're not going to be a part. But those who were the crippled, the lime, the blame, right? I'm going to invite them and they're going to taste. They didn't get what everyone would have called a blessed life, but they're going to be able to participate in what's eternal, lasting, and real. And those that I originally invited, you know what? They thought themselves too busy, so let them be too busy. They won't get a taste of my banquet. And the truth of the matter is there's a torment in our society today that people inflict upon themselves because there are too many options that make people ultimately anxiety-ridden and unhappy. I have too many options. How many people know that the number of options that you have in life doesn't necessarily make you happier, it makes you more frantic, more depressed, more feeling like, listen, I'm missing something. Isn't that the truth? And what we really need in our life is a simplification of life. 
A simplification of focus, a simplification of pursuits, a simplification of what's actually valuable and important. And that's what this master was trying to give the people when he said, my kingdom, my banquet is now ready. Everything's ready. Now come with the blessings I've given you. Come and don't consider yourself too busy. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus as a priority, our options are ultimately narrowed and our focus is sharpened on that which is of actual value in life. How many people believe that to be true? Every time you open the Word of God, you're refocused on what's valuable to Him. What should be valuable to you? What will actually give you the inner peace you're actually looking for? Rather than the things you're ultimately running after. And the truth is we're all headed to A judgment day where the wedding of Jesus to his bride, the church, will be celebrated in glory. And there's an invitation to all to come and participate as a favored guest at his banquet. But many will see themselves excluded because they allow themselves to be too busy to come. God wants to narrow our focus and do all things for the glory of God and the furthering of his kingdom. This is ultimately the liberating and empowering filter of a disciple of Jesus. In the scripture, in the New Testament in particular, there were actually two words for, at least two words for the word that we translate in English, life. Number one, there were the business affairs of life, right? You have a job. You have to go to the job. Even if you're in school right now, that is your job, right? Okay, none feel like it to you? No. <laughs> that is your job, okay, to hopefully make some money one day, right? Or if you got a nine to five or we live in Chicago, six to ten job, right? That's your job. Number one, business affairs. But the second word was a different word for life, which was the animating presence of God, the Zoe life of God. And when Jesus was talking in John 10.10, he was distinguishing between the two. He said, listen, there's a real devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Life more abundantly. And the life that he was talking about was not more business affairs. He wasn't talking about, I'm coming to give you a job and more than a job. He's saying, I'm coming to give you life. The thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, or at least makes you want to get out of bed. You know what I'm talking about? Come on now. It's getting dark earlier. Anybody need the Zoe life of God to get out of bed sometimes? (laughs) Maybe you just need some vitamin D. I prescribe that too. But the truth is, is that the Zoe life of God is what he's trying to offer us. Not just the business affairs, but the Zoe life, the animating presence of God that actually gives you what you need. And that's what he's inviting you to in the kingdom. But you cannot live on the empty calories of life that sustain you momentarily with a sugar spike that can bring you crashing back down. If I could, this would be my diet. Yes. Anybody else in here? Would that be? Would that not be your diet? Stands. Fire cakes. That little place downtown, that hole in the wall that nobody knows the name of. But they always sell out by 10 a.m. Why do I know this? Because I've been on the hunt. But you cannot live on empty calories. Ultimately, it will steal your health and ultimately your life. 
Jesus is inviting us to something different. And you have to think to yourself, even the things that people are pursuing, how many people are disappointed after vacations? Anybody ever been disappointed after a vacation? (laughs) Felt more tired after a vacation? And said, I need a vacation from my vacation? (laughs) How many people finally get what they were waiting for, only to be let down? Or how about this? Anybody ever go into a marriage and it was something different than you thought it would be? Married people, be quiet right now. Be careful. <laughs> okay? Don't you answer that. But every, all these single people be like, oh, yeah. I've heard about that all the time. <laughs> okay? And getting your supposed dream job. Anybody ever get your dream job and then it was different than you thought it would be? Only to find yourself in something that wasn't exactly as it was advertised. But Jesus was singular in his focus when he lived in perfect obedience to the commands of God, worked miracles and compassionate demonstrations of his divinity, and died a substitutionary death at the cross for our sins. Christ's resurrection from the dead was the call to repentance from the worship of other priorities, agendas, and people that we place before him. In the parable above, again, it was twice uh, an invitee's business, that which they thought would create the life they wanted to live, and once a romantic relationship that caused them to ignore God's call. The question for us, though, is what is it that would have priority in our lives above and before the call of God? What is it that we would make excuses with and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm just too busy? Because they seem like legitimate things, tending to that which he actually blessed us with. But he said, don't be counted out because you were too busy for me. We want to make sure that we order our life around the call of God and the coming rewards of the kingdom that are to be distributed at the wedding banquet of the Lamb of God. And number three, realize that it's ultimately too costly not to come. It's too costly not to come. If we want to actually live the life that God's actually calling us to, we need to actually understand it's too costly not to come to him. And what he's calling us to is a life of not just faith in terms of an intellectual or a mental ascent. He's calling us to a faith, a life of obedience walked out in congruence with his commands and will. And Luke 14 will end it for us. Verse 25, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, let's just say that, anyone. And I love this. There are no qualifiers here. That means you. That means me. That means your mother, father. means our children. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, the things that often drive us into the ground are the things that we're running after because we love our lives, not because we're trying to lose it, right? running ourselves into the ground, trying to get for ourselves what we think will give us life, but it's actually what takes, us, takes life from us. 
Now in the Semitic culture here, again, he's not talking about hate as in uh, we think about hate, but it was a Semitic colloquialism saying if you hate something, it means you love it less than the object that you're talking about. So obviously when you love Jesus, you're going to love your family better than you ever have. You're going to love your children better than you ever have. You're going to love your um, neighbor better than you ever have, right? But he's saying in comparison to me, it needs to seem like hate. In comparison, it needs to seem like hate. He says whoever, and that again means anyone, whoever does not bear his own cross, which is a place of not life but death, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. When you walk around the city, you see a lot of that, right? A lot of buildings that started to go up, but we're heading into a recession, and then people are running out of funds, right? Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, saying, listen, too much for me, I can't do it. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, how many people know this isn't what was preached to you as a baby when you were getting sprinkled? (laughs) Bless you, child, unless you're willing to lose your life. (laughs) This is adult talk. This is big boy, big girl talk, right? Where he says, you're making your own decisions. That's why even the baptisms that we're talking about today are a baptism of repentance. Where I'm changing my mind and going in a different direction. I used to live for myself. I used to live my own way. I found it wanting. And now I'm turning to him and saying his way is better. But I've got to remember that he said salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall be its, its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. Jesus got, you know, Jesus is strong in his speech. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And ultimately, the essence of a disciple is a life of holiness. That's what it means to be a disciple, right? Holy, not just in the way that you dress, though it is important, come on now, but also the inward life of the Spirit. I am set apart to God, and everything that He blesses me with is ultimately for His use, for His pleasure, for His glory. That is the life that Jesus modeled and demonstrated. His sinless life, His miracles, His death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, it was all unto this saltiness that flavors the world around us with this upside-down kingdom. 
It says it might be counterintuitive to you, but this is the flavor that you actually need. This is what actually leads not only to life abundant now, but eternal life to boot. And how many people have ever been convinced? And what I mean by convinced is persuaded. Like he said, compel them to come in. Persuaded to try a new food that you thought would be nasty. Come on now. You looked at it and you were like, what is that? Why is it still moving? (laughs) But you tasted it and you were like, it was an explosion of flavor. How many people remember the movie Ratatouille? Right? Remember what he would, he tasted it and then all of a sudden it was like, right? All the images, the colors, you start seeing things in technicolor, right? He's ultimately saying, listen, man, this is the life he's called you to. A life of saltiness. Because if you lose your saltiness, it's, what's left to you is a life that's to be discarded. And he said in Matthew, trampled by men. Sort of, you ever see people trying to live in both worlds? Both the kingdom and the world? And they end up getting trampled by both? He says, I've got better for you. I've got better for you. And if you found that ultimately you've been living a life that's been stealing life from you rather than giving it, this is your great opportunity to repent, to come back to him, to hear his call, to embrace his goodness and say, you know what, he's not too good to be true. I'm not too busy for him. And ultimately there's nothing worth more than what he's offering me. He says, what does it gain or profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world? Yet do what? Lose their own soul. That's what our news is littered with, right? People who've gained the world and lost their souls over and over again. And Jesus' appeal to us is don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Embrace his goodness. Make time for his call. And ultimately, ultimately, embrace that which is too costly to pass up. Amen? Last question, and then we're going to pray. Last question. Jesus said, unless you're willing to give up everything, you can't be my disciple. What is it that he's asking you to give up in your identity, in your pursuits, for some of you, it might be in an inappropriate relationship to ultimately follow him. What do you find that you're unwilling to give up for Jesus when he's saying, I've got so much more, so much better? I want to bless you to ultimately be a blessing to the nations.
Let's have a moment of prayer and actually go to God thinking about those things. Father, thank you. Thank you (coughs) for your word to us. And thank you that you show us over and over again that you are nothing but good. You are nothing but good, God. And all of your commands that are to be obeyed, Father, are for our benefit and for life and life to the full. And God, we pray that you would once again help us by exposing the counterfeits and the substitutes. God, we pray that you would unclog our ears and help us to not only know your goodness, but hear your call. And that we would live, not just in your blessing, but look to be a blessing to the world around us, knowing that it's too costly not to give our all for you. And I want to pray for anyone in here who first says, you know what, I can't call myself a disciple. As a matter of fact, I've, I've never even fully submitted my life to Jesus. And I know that we're all headed towards a judgment seat where we're going to die and then give an account for our lives. And up to this point, I've lived as a rebel, doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And I know that ultimately, if God judged me justly, I would deserve death and hell. But I don't want it, and I want to receive what Jesus Christ did for me at that cross. Dying the sacrificial death, I should have died, and three days later, according to his own words, rising from the dead so that I could have newness of life and be made new in him. If that's you in here today, I want you to first raise your hand. I'd like to first pray for you. Is there anyone like that at all? online it counts for you as well if you are responding to the call of god then people are there to stand with you and pray with you is there anyone at all who says you know what i need to turn from my life of sin and put my trust in jesus the christ well father i pray anyone else good anyone else well father i pray for those who are responding to you today and god i pray that you would Not only help, Father, this to be a moment that transforms them, not just for a moment, but forever, but that you would, with great joy, lead them into the life abundant that you have for them. And you can pray this along with me. Almighty God, I admit to you today that I've been a rebel. And I ask you to forgive me my sins. And I thank you for Jesus going to the cross, dying sacrificially for me, and rising from the dead so I could have new life in you. Show me how to serve you as Lord as I confess you as master of my life from this point forward in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody stay in the place of prayer. We're taking our time. Anyone else who says, listen, God, this is for the believer now, the one who's already been blessed by God. You've got the job, you've got the spouse, you've got the significant other, but you know other things have been been put before Jesus, and ultimately you've just been too busy for him. This is a great moment today, but ultimately the way that you live your inner life and Monday through Saturday, it's not around God, it's around yourself. It's around your own pleasures and pursuits, but you know you need God's help to turn from those things today. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Okay, anyone else? Father, I do just pray that you would give my brothers and sisters great faith.
great faith, God, for the better and the abundant life that you have for them as you invite them to the banquet, the wedding banquet of the Lamb. That it wouldn't just be a one-day thing, but God, it would be an everyday thing. An everyday thing of setting apart our time, our resources, our talents, our relationships to a holy life lived for the praise and pleasure of God. God, I pray that you would remind them of the great reward that's coming at the wedding banquet of the Lamb and that they would orient their days around that, that moment in time where you would look at them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. God, I bless everyone here with your peace as we order our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.